2: Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so
3: much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian me Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by David Avella, chairman of the GOPAC and a veteran Republican strategist about what could be history-making, historic because a change in direction for the country. If the governor's race and the attorney general's race in Virginia go a different direction. Also, the subplatte to me personally, November 2nd, is the President and Freedom Fighter. Uh, so much of American history took place in Virginia. This took place outside of of the the power bases in New York, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln. And I think it's a story you'll enjoy seeing November 7th at 10 o'clock on the channel. We have a TV special for it, and the book is out today. Just go to BrianKilme.com. I might even be coming to your city. I think I'm going to, like, 30. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
4: I have a 20% increase and people that are putting into retire early. That's over hundred people right there. Another 300 plus are filing workers' compensation claims. That's a 22% increase. I have right. 238 deputies are now applying for out of county jobs that do not have vaccine mandates.
3: That is uh, pretty significant because that is the sheriff of Los Angeles County saying, this whole mandate mania is crazy. Mandate mania has cities ruling from Chicago to Seattle to New York thousands calling sick turn in their badge and hand their in their paperwork rather than take the shot how this ends and how it further divides the nation coming your way
5: number two
6: holding this bill hostage is not going to work and getting my support for rec- reconciliation bill nor will I support a package that risks hurting American families suffering from historic inflation
3: Joe Manchin showing again he might be America's greatest asset and only uh, and the only Democrat. Who cares about country more than his party what he said the stats he used and the body blow he gave his party and Joe Biden that sleepy Joe Biden
7: Number
8: one. 50%
9: of the students at Virginia schools k-12 50% are students of color and yet 80% of the teachers are white we all know what we have to do in a school to make everybody feel comfortable in school so let's diversify
10: what
3: is with this guy right Virginia uh, race closes out with McAuliffe running and blaming the teachers for being too white as Youngkin wraps up, uh, wraps with crowds, smiles and shows optimism. We look at this race, what it means for the rest of the country on this off-year election. For the most part, I looked at this November 2nd. Even when my book comes out, I thought it's election day. Let's push it back a week, which I should have done because uh, both my daughters are in the playoffs, the soccer playoffs in college. And I would love to have pushed this back a week, but I'm glad it's here now. But I never thought November 2nd would matter because November 2nd, an off-year election, not even a midterm election. you got to be kidding me. Where's the drama? Well, the governor of New York because of a scandal, uh, the governor of Virginia because of a scandal, was in an off year. And Yunkin, who was a nowhere a very talented rich guy who ran the Carlisle Group, is extremely prestigious uh, group uh, and lucrative, Very international. Decides to run. He gets the nomination. And he was just very strong. And issues came his way and he was ready to adjust. Uh, One of the issues was, I believe, and I have not seen this in the polling, but I know how patriotic and and how how military-oriented Virginia is. And I know that the way we left Afghanistan was one man's debacle, and it is President Biden and his administration and his surrounding sycophants, and it wasn't listening to the generals. So the military community, which is all over Virginia, they might be woke, but their military first was embarrassed by what this president did. His numbers have not recovered. He doesn't want to talk about it, but his numbers have not recovered. Then the CRT, the education, the exposure, the blowback from the Board of Education, the arrogance, the arrests, uh, the threats from the FBI, from the attorney general. That all were focused on Virginia, but could even be a bigger situation when you focus on the rest of Of the country as we get set for 2022, because Joe Biden's been an epic failure, whether it's the supply chain not addressing it, the border letting it just leak like a sieve, Afghanistan just letting us leave in total humiliation, China walking all over us, falling asleep yesterday at the Glasgow Green Summit that he couldn't wait to get started. This is just one embarrassment after another. And that is why it trickled down with nothing passed and Democrats-only reconciliation bill. All they have to do is agree on a spending plan that makes me physically ill, but they just have to agree with each other? They can't even do it. So that all plays into Terry McAuliffe being an angry candidate who felt as though he deserved this job again. So listen to him complaining about how white teachers are Cut to
9: 50 percent of the students at Virginia schools, K-12, 50 percent are students of color. And yet 80 percent of the teachers are white. We all know what we have to do in a school to make everybody feel comfortable in school. So let's diversify.
3: What? Who cares what color your teacher is, man or woman, black or white or Hispanic? How good are they? How much do they work at their job? How much do they care about the kids? What is wrong with this guy? Here's Newt Gingrich. He knows a thing or two about the South, Georgia congressman, former speaker, cut three.
11: The most racist single comment in this entire campaign was McAuliffe saying there are too many white teachers. I mean, you talk about breaking down, forgetting the the, the content of your character, let's go straight for the color of your skin. How can somebody run for governor basically complaining on a racial basis Not that they're competent or incompetent, not that they work hard or they're lazy, but they happen to be white. Uh, And I think it just tells you the depth of fear that in order to pander to the African-American vote, he made that statement, which I think is an incredibly racist comment.
3: Of course it is. He's sitting uh, also, you you had Governor McCall's. Get Dave Matthews to play music for him. Get Barack Obama to show up for him. The president of the United States, the first lady, the vice president, all show up for him. And nobody cares because he's not addressing the needs of Virginians. And I believe it's a bigger story because if Youngkins wins, a a, a talented guy with a rookie candidate to beat an incumbent or a Democratic operative who once ran the Democratic Party and got every Clinton elected possible— kind of rivalries with Barack Obama, and then fall flat on his face here. It's really crazy. But is it a bigger story? Kellyanne Conway was on primetime last night. Cut seven.
12: And I just talked to the Glenn Youngkin campaign. They think their non-white coalition is up to about 40%. And that tells you that this movement by parents all across Virginia, but particularly in those counties in and around Washington, D.C., Rachel, really knows no bounds by by gender, by race, by socioeconomic status. Many people moved to that area. I lived there for many years. Many people moved to that area for the schools. Mm-hmm. And But I think in addition to education, it's also inflation. It's vaccination. Thank you, President. Trump, mm-hmm. it's a very highly vaccinated state, particularly in that area. It's also motivation.
3: So KILLIAN Conway, who you know made her uh, mark as a pollster, extremely. Good. I think that if President Trump listened to them more the second half and less of Jared, she, they might have won, but uh, she had to bow out for personal reasons. But I don't think she was really being listened to. That's my view. That's what sources told me uh, within the organization. Remember, she ran the successful 26 campaign and was not given enough credit for that and never got enough uh, power in the White House to run the second campaign, the, um, uh, the reelection. election Maybe else will have another shot. We'll see. If they're smart, they would. So let's talk about the spending bill. About 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, Joe Manchin made his way to the microphone, and I thought, what's going on here? Now, over the weekend, we heard that Bernie Sanders and Jayapal and all those others say, this bill, I I don't like it. It's not big enough. It doesn't have uh, free community college, doesn't have uh, free daycare, uh, all these other things that we wanted in there. To restructure, we wanted to get the child tax credits, and uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema haven't agreed to that, so we're not going to vote on the 1.2 trillion. Joe Manchin said of the framework, "I like some of it, but I got to see more of it," and that was the way it kind of stood. And something really got under Joe Manchin's skin. Now, the word is he was willing to agree to 1.75, but he wanted to find out in detail in a 50-50 Senate what was in this package. So he went up and looked at what he knew. And handed it over to the Wharton School of Business. And he said, guys, could you work this budget and find out if I'm getting good estimates? Well, the the Penn-Wharton budget model, which had been helping Manchin for a long time, helped him sort through it over a 10-year span. So for the numbers that he was given, the White House puts the cost of daycare subsidies and universal preschool at $400 billion. But the Penn-Wharton School says it's $700 billion. The White House wants to spend $200 billion and extend the child tax credit uh, for uh, one year at the enhanced rate of 3600 per child and make it fully refundable for its duration. So the Penn Wharton School did their own math and calculated that total cost would be $1.8 And little by little, Manchin said, I've had it. Cut 12.
6: Holding this bill hostage is not going to work in getting my support for the reconciliation bill. Throughout the last three months, I've been straightforward about my concerns that I will not support a reconciliation package that expands social programs and irresponsibly adds to our $29 trillion in national debt that no one seems to really care about or even talk about. Nor will I support a package that risks hurting American families suffering from historic inflation.
3: He went on. Cut 13.
6: It is time to vote on the BIF bill, up or down, and then go home and explain to your constituents the decision you made. And I've always said if I can't go home and explain it, I can't vote for it. And if I can, I, I will. I've worked in good faith for three months, for the past three months, with President Biden, Leader Schumer, Speaker Pelosi, and my colleagues on the reconciliation bill. And I will continue to do so. For the sake of the country, I urge the House to vote and pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill.
3: And he went on to say there's just too many gimmicks in what he saw and no people being deceptive in what they're offering. And he's not going to fall for it. And therefore, the rubber has hit the road. There was no vote. There is no vote today. They think they're going to have a vote on Thursday. But just to show you how divided this party is, and it's not where the country is. I knew it's not where I am. And I thought it probably wasn't where you are. But it's not even where most Democrats are. Cori Bush, Congresswoman, says this. Senator Manchin's opposition to the Build Back Better Act is anti-black and child, uh, anti-woman, and anti-immigrant. That is a Democrat taking aim at a Democrat. That's the only Democrat that would have gotten elected in West Virginia. The only one. So without him, you are in the minority in the Senate. And you're within striking distance in the House. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki played it smarter. We remain confident that the plan will gain Senator Manchin's support. Well, Joe Manchin nods off at a boring green conference in Glasgow. When we come back, I'll take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
13: This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.
2: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
12: It has to be related to the White House. Obviously, McAuliffe's made some mistakes on education, but this is about what's going on in D.C. And you have to wonder how things would look different, Brett, if Biden had taken the win on that infrastructure bill at the beginning of September, said, I'm a bipartisan president and moved on. I think things
14: might look better, both in terms of those polling numbers and in terms of that Virginia race.
3: Yeah. Yeah, because uh, what they wanted to do is do the bipartisan bill. It really made Republicans, you know, look, the bipartisan bill wasn't perfect. A lot of Republicans said there was too much non-infrastructure stuff in the infrastructure bill. But that's what happens when you're in the minority, even if I know it's by just one vote, and you blow the Georgia election. So having said that, I'm more than happy to have that debate on whether you should sign for the 1.2. Let's have that. But what they did is they made the Republicans look like idiots by saying, yeah, we're only going to pass that. If we put another bill together with everything you negotiated out, we're going to put that in it, plus a whole bunch of agenda items. And those 19 Republicans are isolated. They're getting sniped at by the Senator Tom Cottons of the world, Uh, the Senator, uh, you know, the the conservative senators like Inhofe and others who say, really, you just signed on and the Democrats just made you look stupid. Meanwhile, Joe Manchin is putting his finger uh, in the dike and making sure that this whole flood of cash doesn't keep going because he knows we have this thing called inflation, and this will do nothing to help the inflation. Meanwhile, the president of the United States is at Glasgow talking about green technology. Guess what? To get to Glasgow, once he hit the ground, he had an 80-car trail to Glasgow to the arena, and 400 private jets arrived, led by Jeff Bezos's multi-zillion-dollar jet, In Glasgow, to talk about the need to go green. No, it's for us to go green. For us to pay too much for gas. For us to pay too much for oil. For us to deal with very few things on the shelves. Other people, like Prince Charles, are leading the whole green movement. And John Kerry, two people who never have to worry about money ever. Because of nothing they did. Because of who they married and how they were born. But it's up to us to watch our economies go into the toilet. Meanwhile, our two enemies, Russia and China, don't even show up for the Green Conference. They don't show up. And in China's case, they they emit 27% of all greenhouse gases. And they're, they're not even pledging to do a lot, even though no one would believe them anyway. So they talk about this cataclysmic series of events. But when it comes to the President of the United States, his speech was almost incomprehensible. I don't even think he pre read it. He ate half the words. And then when he went down into the audience, here's the exclusive audio of Joe Biden listening. I can't even take it. It's so annoying. He fell asleep two or three times. Listen, as a guy who does the morning show, I'm up at 2.30. I am not new to falling asleep in the afternoon at inopportune times. But I'm up at 2.30. That's part of the reason. Uh, I will say this. If you're going to go to the summit and say it's the most important thing you will do as president, is it too much to ask not to nod off? Here's Kelly O'Donnell as the media efforts to make excuses for him. Cut twenty four.
14: He was uh, seen on camera with his eyes closed. It appears that perhaps he was dozing. And in these settings, uh, cameras are all around. And the camera caught uh, President Biden, who turned 79 later this month, uh, with his eyes closed for a period of time. And you're right. These can be embarrassing situations. It is also true that the hours are long, the time differences uh, are real, and the president has kept uh, a rigorous schedule over several days, having lots of meetings and appearances and speeches and uh quite a late night last night.
3: What excuses? He seemed to have his eyes closed. It's cold sleeping and embarrassing the country again. Uh Frank, real quick, uh real quick, William from WIBX.
15: Uh yes. I just want to say that it's very strange that the only Democrat that really wants to know what's in the bill before he votes on it is Joe Manchin.
2: I know.
15: Sure.
3: <laughs> I mean, Cinema keeps a low profile. About, she does want to know too, but go ahead.
15: Another thing about uh, Biden's sleep, and, uh, closing his eyes. I'll bet you, Jim Sackey will say that he was praying. I'll bet you.
3: <laughs> I don't think so, because uh, I don't really think they embrace religion. Although the Pope called him a good Catholic, I assume, in his hour and 15 minute meeting with the Pope. And then he segued into his son dying. Uh, again, uh, what he keeps leaning on is personal tragedy. And tra- no one is pro-tragedy, but everyone has it in their lives. They don't walk around every time you bring it up talking about their tragedy, especially when other people have their other tragedies to deal with. He was tone deaf with Dover bringing up his son. And then to bring up his son as the last question after five questions in six weeks, uh, I thought was out of line too at the G20. So when we come back, I'm going to talk to David Avella, and then I'm going to talk back to you, so stay on board, one 866 408 David's going to weigh in. On what it means for the GOP if they're to pull out a victory, and what Youngkin has done. Is this all about Youngkin, or is this all about the country? My fingers across it's about the country.
7: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the High Court. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: From his mouth to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I think that our children's education is simply the most important issue
15: going into 2022. And House candidates, Senate candidates, gubernatorial candidates for the Republican Party across the country should be forcing this issue.
3: And that is Chris Christie on Fox and Friends earlier today. Uh, talking about what would we mean if Glenn Young can able to pull off this unfathomable, unthinkable victory back in August which might seem to uh, be almost a probability now as voting has started. 1.1 million have already voted. Joining us now to put it in perspective and talk about the big picture with the GOP, David Avelet uh, is chairman of GOPAC and a veteran Republican strategist. Uh, David, welcome back. What do you think about Governor Christie just said? Is this about Virginia education, or is this an issue Republicans can use anywhere?
10: No question. This is an issue that Republicans across the country— can use as long as we are talking about it from the perspective of, of teaching children the basics, reading and writing and arithmetic and all the things they're going to need in this world to be successful. You couple that with a, an economy that we're seeing in survey after survey continues to rise amongst voters as they get concerned about uh, the economic future of our country. So- and there's two together and... Uh, A lot of opportunities for Republican gains, not only in Virginia today, but next year in the midterms.
3: I mean, there's some crazy things going on. I've never seen a party ever crater like this so quickly, so precipitously. When you look at Republicans have superior numbers when it comes to the economy, when it comes to spending, when it comes to to social programs, when it comes to uh, security, when it comes to the military. I mean, and now education. What do you think is the reason that Republicans had this massive gain so quickly?
10: Because of what uh, President Biden and congressional Democrats, one, are pushing. It's important to note that not one element of Build Back Better, the president's economic plan, has over 50 percent support. And so as you see the extreme elements of the Democratic Party uh, pushing it, uh, Biden and congressional Dem- and Democrats in, in overall have a challenge that one, they're not getting any; they have disapproval amongst Democratic voters because they're not getting the full-on progressive agenda they want, and the agenda that they are pushing, independents and Republicans can't stand, and it's giving voters, uh, it's giving Republican candidates that um, uh, boost uh, with double-digit that. Re- Voters would rather have Republican perspective on ideas than Democratic perspective. I mean, you
3: got two major stories off our coast. One is uh, in the border. The president has totally ignored it, doesn't even entertain it. There are things out there to do. It's almost as if he's in a delay of game while the border rages. We're getting invaded. Get to all these stories about kids being flooded into working class communities, doubling the size of classrooms, not being able to speak English, not even speaking Spanish. So they're just not even checking with superintendents. The federal government's doing that. What about this poll? The question from, uh, and PBS. do you think Democrats have a better chance of winning the presidency in 2024 if Joe Biden is the party's nominee or if someone else is? Joe Biden, 36%, somebody else, 44%. They've already soured on him. Do you think there's somebody out there that could pressure him not to run again or if or could play a bigger role, because Kamala Harris is just uninterested.
10: Brian, let's focus on 2022. We have too many gains. 24 is a long way away uh, for us to be thinking about a presidential race when we have the opportunity to take back the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate and get us in a good position then for a Republican victory in the White House in 24. And then we can start correcting the, the damage that is being done Uh, to our country by the policies of this administration. And you hit on a a key point as to where the country started to sour on President Biden. And it was the complete debacle at the border. And that across the board, whether it's Republicans, independents, persuadable Democrats, uh, it, it is the fact that we are allowing folks in not knowing who is coming in and not uh, holding them to the same requirements that we hold other immigrants uh, to come into. And there's a wide range as to uh, where voters, how they think immigration policy should go and and having folks in, letting new immigrants in. There is no uh, daylight between those who want the border, us to know who's coming in the border. And that's where the biden administration has made its first error and then it's just been one right after the other for them whether that be afghanistan uh, whether that be where the economy is whether that be the policies they put in place place that's only making um inflation worse i mean just issue after issue this administration has c- continued to bumble and stumble and it has you know, Republicans in a good spot today here in Virginia and in New Jersey. And there's a, a big Supreme Court race in Pennsylvania. Uh, but it, it, this trend bodes well for Republicans in 2022.
3: Uh, absolutely. The other thing that uh, it's a little bit more nuanced is this mandate mania. The, I'm pro-vaccine. I'm not pro-mandate. I think it's way out of control. In New York, liberal city, they have firefighters, cops, sanitation workers. For the most part, 84 percent have gotten vaccinated, cops, 77 percent of firefighters vaccinated, cops, 88 percent of medics. Sounds good, right? This sanitation, 81 percent, but that's not good enough. Without 100 percent, you are fired. You are on leave. And now there's somewhere between nine and 11,000 city workers told to go home without pay. That's what's happening in Seattle. In Chicago, there was a court decision that delayed it, but we could be heading down the same path as that now with OSHA saying, if you have a government contract, I want everybody there vaccinated. What is this doing politically for the Democrats and Republicans? What what is this issue?
10: Well, let's keep in mind that, uh, as you noted, vaccines are the best path for helping to... Uh, keep us all safe. That said, uh, you're seeing even in states and cities where they do have these mandates on government workers, there's already starting to be uh, this easing of or at least looking the other way for those who aren't uh, getting vaccinated. The Washington Post did a story recently about the, the U.S. military and the percentage of Um, members of the military that we would lose as a country if the Pentagon actually enforced a mandate. And now you're starting to get into the national security of the country, and it's hard to see any American favoring making our military weaker by forcing a mandate. And whether it be the military or whether it be cops or whether it be firemen, I mean, you, you're you sitting right there. You know the problems New York's facing now. They had to actually close a few firehouses because of the lack of firemen, uh, because of de Blasio's mandate. Uh, it, it's calling into question the wisdom of these mandates. There are far better ways to encourage people to get the vaccine, uh, just as we do with other vaccines, Uh, against viruses. There are far better ways uh, than mandating it as a term of employment.
3: The other thing is, wouldn't you think Democratic cities wouldn't mind dealing with unions and associations? Why not go up to them and say, guys, thanks for helping me out for the last year and a half, going to work before we even knew what this virus was, asymptomatic spread, uh, surfaces spread, we're hosing things down. You kept going to work. We lost a number of you. Now, can you get vaccinated? Oh, let's say you do. 80 percent. All right. I'm going to need the other 20 percent to test. How do we work that out? So you negotiate. So instead you isolate. Andrew Ansborough is the Uniform Firefighters Association president. Cut 18.
16: Well, by design, they don't want to work with us. When you tell someone they have nine days, nine days to make the decision for vaccination or lose their job, they don't want to work with you. Uh, teachers were given over a month. Uh, corrections doesn't have to make this decision until December 1st. Uh, So once again, uh, the mayor is uh, showing that people that uh, care for criminals have more, uh, more rights than people that care for the average New Yorker.
3: I mean, he's not, he's not discounting it, but I believe this when you go to Whitefoot, when you go to in Seattle's mayor, when you go around, this is something that this is what the governor of of California is doing the same thing. So this is going to be a very interesting issue because I think 60 percent of the American public is for vaccine mandates. What do you think, David Avella?
10: There, as we just said, it, it, there are better ways to go about uh, getting folks vaccinated, encouraging vaccinations, and off, uh, getting us to the eighty, ninety percent, depending upon what who you're listening to on a given week, where we need to to get get to on vaccinations. Uh, Americans uh, tend to. Push back on mandates as we are, a percentage of them will, uh, as we are seeing. And governments are going to have to decide are they ready to hire, rehire a significant number of the workforce, of their workforce, if all of a sudden people, members of the military or the police force or the medical uh, workers, hospital staff, uh, if they all start leaving their job, are they in a position to be able to uh, replace them? And we talked about the national security threat of losing you know, any number, any portion of our military over our mandate. But think about and we already, Brian, face a doctor nurse shortage in this country. <laughs> and you have a number of healthcare workers who aren't going to get the or say they're not going to get the mandate, though that number continues to come down. Uh, more and more uh, of those not vaccinated uh, over time ultimately do come around and, and get vaccinated. Uh, a, a, again, Americans are much more uh, historically uh, respond more to encouragement and, po- and information that shows them. The benefit than they are having a government come in heavy handed um, and tell them they have to do it. Right. I thought that was a given. So, but
3: so far, the Air Force personnel is the first up. Uh, they face today as a deadline and it look like they will lose thousands of personnel. They're going to face dismissal because of the Pentagon's vaccination policy, which, you know, comes right from the White House. So we'll see how that goes. The L.A. Sheriff has warned County vaccine mandates to threaten public safety because even though he's not enforcing it, a lot of his guys are just leaving to other places that don't demand the vaccine. Lastly, Joe Manchin was a hero yesterday when he came out and just blasted this freewheeling spending program in an inflationary environment uh, where there is no final calculus on what what it's going to cost the economy. Listen to a little of what he said.
6: However, as more of the real details outline, the basic framework are released. What I see are shell games, budget gimmicks that make the real cost of the so-called $1.75 trillion bill estimated to be almost twice that amount if the full time is run out. If you extended it permanently, and that we haven't even spoken about. This is a recipe for economic crisis. None of us should ever misrepresent to the American people what the real cost of legislation is. Well, I've worked hard to find a path to compromise, it's obvious. Compromise is not good enough.
3: And your final thought on where we go from here, because he went to the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania, and they have totally different math than he's been submitted to from Schumer and company.
10: Don't get lost in the fog of numbers, Brian. There is still a lot of bad, let's just, bad ideas in this bill whether it's $1.7 or $3.7 Let me give you an example. Let's say they get it down to a magical number that Senator Manchin will vote for. We're going to have to borrow this money from China because we don't have it. So we're going to borrow money from China, and in this bill is money for more solar panels and more climate troops or starting climate troops. Now, I'm not against solar panels. But who's the biggest beneficiary on the production of solar panels? China. China is. So why we continue to allow the, the, the this discussion to be about how much the bill costs when, in fact, whatever the amount is, it's going to pass bad things on to this country and make it harder for us to recover economically uh, in this inflationary period that we see ourselves in. So. Uh, You know, I've watched Joe Manchin my entire career, uh, from the time I was a state senate page in West or a state senate staffer in West Virginia, all the way through his governor's years and all the way through his Senate years. And if Senator Manchin keep keep the numbers so that it looks like he has gotten compromised, that's his favorite place to be. As conservatives and as Republicans. We cannot allow this bad piece of legislation to pass, no matter what the cost. I know,
3: but you have few options, as you know, David. There's reality; you really don't have an option. Uh, have the parliamentarian kill the stuff that uh, that they're supposed to kill in immigration, but you're only bystanders because you guys blew the Georgia election. Simple well, as that.
10: Let me, uh, well, Brian, let, let me give you, let me leave you then with some hopeful. You may remember when Hillary Care was coming down the pike, it was Senator Phil Graham. We were in a, in fact, we were in a worse situation in the House numbers-wise uh, than we are, and we didn't have the Senate. But it was Phil Graham who said, that bill is going to pass over my dull, cold, dead political body. We just need Republicans to stand up and continue educating Americans, and we can defeat this bill. bill. And right.
3: that's what we need to do. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, David uh, David Avella, thanks so much. We're going to come back. I'll take you calls. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
7: It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Things got off to a rocky start this morning for the president during the conference's opening speeches. It looked like Biden started dozing off.
8: In Biden's defense, he is conserving
3: energy, and that is what the conference is all about. That is pretty funny. I think that's pretty funny. At least they addressed it. And it, what do you say is appears he's sleeping. He fell asleep at the conference. That's it. And by the way, how unbelievable is it that Boris Johnson is flying back and forth while telling the rest of the world this is critical, we don't have no more time, this is critical. And then he gets on a private jet and flies back and forth to London and Glasgow when he could have taken a train. And then they say to him, you know, they, his spokesperson goes, what are you doing? You yell, you're telling everybody else we got to stop with oil and gas. And what are you doing? He says, well, I'm in a rush. We're all in a rush. You know, that that's... What do we have to do? Go back on the horse? No, excuse me, horses emit methane, so we can't even get on a horse anymore. We all get on scooters? I guess if we figure out a way to have an electric plant not powered by coal, because scooters need to be powered. I'm, I'm just so fed up with this because this is a useless conference without China and Russia there. Quick announcement, um, um, President Freedom Fighter is out as of a few hours ago. Uh, you just go to BrianKilme.com. Find out if I'll be in your area. I'm doing a virtual signing on Wednesday, 2.30, so you'll have a chance to interact with me. Just go on com, click on virtual signing, and they'll just give you the pathway to get on. Carly Shimkus is going to be on with me, and uh, you could get the book. It's about Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and the battle to save America's soul. Uh, at a time in which we need perspective on race in this country, let's go back to the time in which was the number one issue in this country, and that's the Civil War. Uh, This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much. Keep it here. Go to com and order the podcast. This way you can listen anytime, anywhere.
7: Nation presents podcasts Women of the Bible Speak.
12: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author
14: of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak: The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnews.podcast.com or wherever you download your podcasts.
2: From the Fox News radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We're coming to you from New York where there's mandate mania has really helped to bring this city back down to its knees as well as hurt uh, around the country. We're heard around the world. I get text messages from Ireland. My goodness. A lot of people listen on the stream. Ben Dominic is ready to join us in a matter of moments. Uh, moments. Bjorn Lomborg is a real expert when it comes to climate change. He's going to bring us inside the Glasgow catastrophe uh, as these hypocrites show up there to tell us we have to change the way we live. While they show up, 400 private jets arrive in Scotland. President Biden, this is an emergency. The the This is the number one issue of my administration, falls asleep during the conference and has a 40-car, chain, caravan, wherever he goes. I'm sure they're all electric SUVs. And then we have Varney and Company uh, with Stuart Varney. Uh, Stuart Varney will be doing a simulcast. Ben Dominich was kind enough to interview me for my book, The President of Fire, uh, and and Freedom Fighter, which comes out today. Ben interviewed me last week. Uh, and today you can go to BrianKilme.com and order it. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass and the Battle to Save America's Soul. Now that we talk about race almost every day, it's time for people to see how far this country has come. Thanks to two extraordinary people. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
4: I have a 20% increase in people that are putting to retire early. That's over 100 people right there. Another 300 plus are filing workers' compensation claims. That's a 22% increase. I have 238 right. deputies that are now applying for out-of-county jobs that do yeah. not have vaccine mandates.
3: That is Sheriff Alex Villanueva, a sober mind on the West Coast. Can you imagine? Mandate mania. Has uh, has cities reeling from Chicago to Seattle to Los Angeles to New York? Has thousands calling sick, turning their badge, hand in their paperwork, rather retire than go and be forced to take a shot? How is this ends and how it further divides this country? That story coming your way.
14: Number two.
6: Holding this bill hostage is not going to work in getting my support for rec- reconciliation bill. Nor will I support a package that risks hurting American families suffering from historic inflation.
3: Yeah, kind of interesting story, right? Senator Joe Manchin showing again he might be America's greatest asset and the only Democrat besides Henry Cuellar who's showing that he cares more about the country than his party. What he said, the stats he used, and the body blow he gave the president of the United States. Sleepy Joe.
8: Number
9: one. 50% of the students at Virginia schools, K-12, 50% are students of color, and yet 80% of the teachers are white. We all know what we have to do in a school to make everybody feel comfortable in school. So let's diversify. What?
3: Virginia, race closes out with race. Governor McAuliffe, the former governor, running and blaming teachers for being too white. What a wonderful way to close. But, Ben, you're more experienced than me. You're a Fox News contributor and the publisher of The Federalist and host of the Ben Dominich podcast. Can you tell me what pie chart told him to close out with teachers being too white?
15: (laughs) You know, uh, first, Brian, congratulations on the release of your book. And I hope that everyone uh, checks it out. It's definitely something that is a a timely read in this this, uh, moment. I am... Aghast at what I see from uh, Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe is someone I've known for um, uh, two decades. Uh, I've lived in Virginia for for thirty years. Uh, He is a cutthroat Democrat politician. He's he's kind of you know he was obviously known as as one of the Clintons' bag men. Uh, He's he's very. I put him in the same category though as someone like Ron Emanuel, a tough fighter, a political animal, and to see him make this. Extremely craven decision to close out his campaign with basically six weeks of just talking about Trump and racism. I'm making it all about that. This is the kind of point where you have to say, Who's really dividing people here? Is it the the kind sort of uh, very uh, vanilla Republican candidate in Glenn Youngkin who's uh, been focused on the issues that actually matter to people, pocketbook issues, uh, inflation in, uh, the in, importance of education and making sure that parents can direct the education that matters to their kids uh, and of, of course you know the, the kind of thing that he was talking about last night, you know, which is fixing the DMV, fixing the roads you know. The, Things that governors normally campaign on. Instead, you had this, this national approach, this nationalizing approach from Terry McAuliffe. And I think that it shows the weakness of the Democratic coalition in, in an era when you don't have Donald Trump on Twitter or on the ballot. Terry McAuliffe was actually complaining. He, he said he wished that Trump was back on Twitter because he felt like, you know, that that would make people pay more attention to it. Well, But the fact is that people vote based on the issues that matter to them, in this case, education, in this case, pocketbook issues and inflation, in this case, you know, whether they want to have a better Commonwealth or not. And I think that this is what happens when you have a woke agenda backed by the power of the teachers' unions, take over the democratic message uh, and leave them, you know, frankly, Uh, Very much out of step with the priorities of the people. And what happens in Virginia today uh, is really something that I think could spell uh, a lot of problems for Democrats going into next year and the midterms. Uh, It could be a sign of how much they're going to have to struggle to find a message that actually works.
2: Right.
3: Everything's earned. Nothing's been – it's not like Madison Avenue had a great line. You know, it, it's not compassionate conservatism, and people thought, wow, that really resonates. No, this is, uh, excuse me, what are you teaching my kids? What do you say yeah. about that? And listen to what Terry McAuliffe says. Cut two. 50%
9: of the students at Virginia schools, K-12, 50% are students of color, and yet 80% of the teachers are white. We all know what we have to do in a school to make everybody feel comfortable in school. So let's diversify. What?
3: So all of a sudden my, my teacher who might be te- white in a, in a in a working class area that might have mm-hmm. more Hispanics and blacks than whites, <laughs> we have to go get a Hispanic teacher? I mean, what is going it, on? Doesn't he know that, it, that that cuts the knees out of a teacher's union?
15: It really is. It's absurd um, and it's ridiculous, but it's also very much the message of woke leftism today that says that you have to evaluate people based on the color of their skin. And the, and the thing is, that's, it is such uh, an anti-American idea, an anti-American ethos. That puts, uh, you know, students of, of different uh, colors of skin in situations where they have to view themselves as being privileged or as being victims, uh, and that's something that is really, I think, you know, uh, has been criticized very vocally by Glenn Youngkin, and I'll and I'll say this again: you know, this is not. is not some, you know, sort of uh, fire-breathing conservative. He's a very traditional kind of chamber of commerce Republican. uh, You know, he's uh, someone that, you know, anybody who voted for Mitt Romney in 2012 should be comfortable voting for Glenn Youngkin. But it's the sort of thing where he's made a decision which I think is a very smart one and it's one that I do think that uh, uh, President Trump changed for a lot of Republicans, which is that he leaned into the culture war issue as opposed to running away from it. He didn't Express any kind of fear about being called a racist by Terry McAuliffe about you know for standing up for parents and their kids, and I think that that's something that's very powerful. If you if you have the willingness to engage on these culture war issues, to not run away from them, and instead to say. No, you may call me a racist, but I'm not, and I'm not going to let you get away with it. And it's not racist to say that parents should be able to direct uh, the, the schooling that their uh, teachers, that, that teachers are giving to their kids. Uh, and it is true that, you know, critical race theory is being blatantly taught in Virginia schools. It, what, it's what woke up a lot of the parents during this pandemic to what their kids were learning when they listened in on all those Zoom classes. And they said, wait. You're, you're teaching my kid what now? And when they started raising those questions, the school boards just tried to beat them off and beat them away, tried to pretend like nothing that they said mattered and that it was only race uh, and race based politics that was motivating them instead of saying, you know, no, I want my kid to get the best education possible, which is, of course, what all parents want for their kids.
3: Does it bother you that this will be a close election and that Mark Elias has been hired for sixty thousand dollars to oh, consult with the yeah, campaign? Absolutely,
15: camp? <laughs> absolutely, it does. Uh, you know, for for your listeners who aren't familiar with him, Mark Elias is someone uh, who's been at the center of Democratic election disputes uh, going back for years. He's also someone who was a key player uh, in the in the famed Russia hoax uh, and in pushing it. and And what I would just say to people is. Uh, look, I, I personally think that that Glenn Youngkin is going to win tonight. I was talking to another member of of the news media who uh, who's uh, very uh, close following uh, Virginia last night, and uh, and I've talked to a lot of different people who are independent pollsters uh, on this issue, and they do expect Youngkin to win. But if it is a close election, uh, Terry McAuliffe, like I said, is a political cutthroat animal. He's from that Clinton machine, and he will deploy Mark Elias. And Democrat lawyers uh, to try to throw this thing, uh, you know, into the courts and into any possible way of, of trying to prevent a loss. Uh, my my hope, frankly, is that that's not something that we run into, and that it isn't uh, close enough to even make that matter. Um, and I think that I think that that could definitely happen. Look, I mean, this this is an election that I think has confounded National Democrats because they thought they could just say Trump, 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 racist, racist, racist. Uh, and get away with not having any policies that actually mattered to uh, the people of Virginia. But I think that Virginia voters uh, have different priorities, and, and this could be a real sign that they have mm-hmm. lost uh, a lot of those independent voters that made the difference for them uh, in 2020 in some key places, uh, and, and may have you know reacted with some serious buyer's remorse to the Biden agenda and to what's gone on in the past year.
3: Uh, we're talking with Ben Dominich, of course, and he's, he's got his own podcast here, the Ben Dominich Podcast. Uh, ben, I want to move on and talk about something. And I, I admit, I'm an ideologue to a degree. When we had Congressman Henry Cuellar on, and he was talking about the border like you and I would, a desperate push to get Joe Biden to listen to how bad it is and how the wrong signals being sent out, that Joe Biden's listening to the wrong people. And then when I watched Joe Manchin get up, yesterday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and tell a, give a message to his party and his president that he is not signing on to this reconciliation bill. According to Axios, he, one, has been consulting with the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School of Business, and he's asking them to do his math, not Democratic operatives, and he's seeing the gimmicks. Listen to what he said.
6: However, as more of the real details outline the basic framework are released, what I see are shell games budget gimmicks that make the real cost of the so-called $1.75 trillion bill estimated to be almost twice that amount if the full time is run out, if you extended it permanently, and that we haven't even spoken about. This is a recipe for economic crisis. None of us should ever misrepresent to the American people what the real cost of legislation is,
3: so, the Wharton School told him the deal is not 1.75, it's 3.9. <laughs> and they say they estimate that $700 billion over 10 years is what this whole thing would cost in terms of daycare. Uh, $1.8 trillion, not, uh, uh, not half that, is what the 3600 uh per year level of child tax credit would cost the budget. And he says, we're in the middle of an inflationary cycle. Don't tell me this is not going to affect inflation. And I thought to myself, this is a conversation. Instead of ideology, we have practicality, and I'm just yeah. wondering: Are you were you impressed with what you heard that yesterday afternoon?
15: Well, look, you know the this is a classic trick, and uh, you know for my sins, before getting into uh, the media space, you know I worked on Capitol Hill for Senator John Cornyn of Texas for a little more than two years, and. Uh, and I'm well aware of, of the gimmicks that can be played when it comes to budgetary decisions. And Mansion is just, you know, saying it out loud. Just saying, look, you know, you're you're trying to make this seem like it's cheaper because you're claiming that this program will run out sooner when we all know it's going to stay it's going to be around forever. You have temporary programs that never get sunsetted and that end up costing you know billions more than what they're supposed to cost and he's just calling them out on it and he's and he's not going to go along with these stupid gimmicks and the thing that's so uh, incredible about this you know from my perspective is that you know there are a number of smart Democrats who know that this is the case and who know that this is not the way to do policy. Uh, and yet it just is falling to Mansion to be the one person to come out and say, the emperor has no clothes on this issue. And look, more power to him for saying it. And he's a smart politician. He obviously you know, is, uh, is very popular in a state that has gone against his party politically when it comes to national elections. Uh, and I think that that's something that you know you have to factor into this. That he's a lot smarter with navigating these issues. He knows that this is bad policy and that this is bad for America. Look, I think this it, sort of oddly, this Virginia race may end up being uh, the thing that spells the doom of this whole package and this whole approach to policymaking because the the progressives see what's going on. They see that they're coming uh, down into a midterm year uh, that could end up sweeping them out of power and sweeping out of power, the the elderly leadership class, including Nancy Pelosi, uh, that they would very much like to get rid of because they want to establish themselves as the strongest voice within the Democratic coalition and as the future. Uh, and that's something that I think is, is definitely going on behind the scenes. But look, I, I appreciate Manchin just for being out there and saying, look, this math doesn't work. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not honest. And I'm not going to pretend that it is uh, just because a lot of people in my party would like me to.
3: Uh, i i'm hopeful uh because he's still everyone every republican said don't believe it don't believe it but he's still holding the line so i appreciate that ben dominich thanks so much again thanks for the interview too and i'll talk to you soon
15: great to be with you as always brian
3: you got it uh bottom of the hour we talk green with bjorn lumberg the president of copenhagen consensus and visiting fellow at stanford university's hoover institute uh, and we talked to him from sweden
7: don't move
2: Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to the Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
17: And one of the most important things we can do in this decisive decade is to keep 1.5 degrees in reach is reduce our methane emissions as quickly as possible. As has already been stated, it's one of the most potent greenhouse gases there is. It amounts to about half, half the warming we're experiencing today, just the methane exposure. So together... We're committing to collectively reduce our methane by 30 percent by 2030. And I think we could probably go beyond that.
3: Wow. Whatever he said, I'm not sure he means it, but he someone gives him a script and he thinks global warming is good for his country. uh, Excuse me, his party. So he continues to spout off when 27 percent of all the pollution in this world is put out by China and they don't show up. And the pledges they make are comical and laughable. Don't waste our time. Russia is not even there. They're, you know what they're busy? They're putting together documents in order to get North Korea's sanctions lifted. Do you think they care anything about this? John Kerry running around, get rid of oil and gas. Let's stop investing in oil and gas companies. Let's ask Saudi Arabia to drill more in OPEC to do us a favor and pump more. So Russia gets actually more oil and gas in the system. So they begin to make money again to muscle up their military to cause more havoc in the world. Please tell me where the good news is. And and now we hear that the green people don't even think that what our pledge is enough, while Joe Biden is apologizing for us pulling out of the Paris Accords, which nobody has hit their marks to begin with. I don't understand this religion. There's a responsible way to do it. But until our economy can transition effectively to a, to a cleaner, greener way, in the interim, do not make the people that— suffer the most, suffer the most, and that is the working class and the middle class. The people, the 400 private jet owners that went to Glasgow will not be affected by this. They wanna drill down and destroy and make our lives harder. That's not okay with me.
7: I think it is a green dream from the fox news podcasts network
15: i'm ben Dominic, publisher of the federalists and i'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going subscribe to the ben Dominic podcast
11: subscribe
7: and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: the more you listen the more you'll know it's brian kilmeade
1: Enough of burning and drilling and mining our way deeper. We are digging our own graves. It's one minute to midnight on that
7: doomsday clock, and we need to act now. The eyes and hopes of the world are upon you to act with all dispatch and decisively because time has quite literally run out.
17: We only have a brief window left before us to raise our ambitions and to raise to meet the task that's rapidly narrowing.
3: Well, there you go. It's uh, right before midnight, so hurry up, because my private jet is is idling on the tarmac with 400 others. Oh, and I have to rush back to my hotel, and I have to give my, my travel uh, itinerary uh, just a heads up, because my caravan is 80 cars deep with SUVs, Which, by the way, uses gas. But all of you, you give up your cars. You stop flying. You stop using natural gas to heat your house. That is the message in Glasgow. And I'm not listening, are you? Bjorn Lomborg is. He's the president of the Copenhagen Consensus and a visiting fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institute. His latest book is False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. Bjorn, what are you learning in Glasgow? (laughs)
8: <laughs> Brian, I'm certainly hearing a lot of doomsday talk. And and look, I think there's two things that are important to say. Yes, global warming is a real problem. But no, this is not the end of the world. Telling it as if it's the end of the world not only scares our kids and scares everyone uh, silly, but it also leads to really bad spending. You basically just throw all the money at this problem and... Spend most of it really, really poorly. So we need to get a grip of ourselves, say, yes, let's fix this problem, but smartly, please. Right. So do
3: you notice that China's not there? And they've, of all the toxic gases and pollution, they, I think they make up 27% of all of it. Russia's not attending. Yes. They're
8: trying to get North Korea sanctions relief. They don't even pay attention. What does that mean? Well, I— So China obviously has actually achieved what almost everyone in the poor part of the world wants to do. They have, mostly using lots of fossil fuel, actually seen a dramatic increase in their wealth. Uh, If you go talk to India or most nations in Africa, uh, they probably not want the the, uh, uh, dictatorship part, but they certainly want the growth part of China to be replicated in their countries. And that is mostly on the back of easily uh, available and very cheap uh, energy. And that's mostly coal. So not surprisingly, what we're really seeing here is it's hard to get most countries to give up that opportunity of getting themselves out of poverty uh, because rich countries are now saying, well, you've got to sign up to net zero. You've actually got to stay in poverty.
3: Oh, yeah, because uh, the working class pay for the most. I mean, is there a problem beyond optics when 400 uh, private jets filled the tarmacs in Scotland to tell us all to get rid of our oil and gas?
8: Yes, and and of course that's hypocritical. But but again, also, we need to keep a sense of proportion. This is not what drives global warming. But of course, the underlying point, and that was what you were also alluding to in your intro, uh, is that we're basically being told... I'm sorry, could you you not drive as much? Could you not eat as much food? Could you be a little poorer and a little colder? And of course, that in the long run is actually not going to work. You might get people, especially people who are really worried about climate, to do a little bit of this, but it's not a recipe for actually fixing climate change in the long run. It's a recipe for people saying, no, we don't want this.
3: Uh, You write a new study, you note, a new study of the journal, Nature shows that uh, reducing emissions 95 percent by 2050, almost the president's promise of net zero, would cost 11.9 percent of GDP or more than 11,000 present day dollars for each American citizen every year. Do you think that they have done that same math? Have they looked at this study and are they willing to do this? Are they willing to tell the American people
8: that? Well, clearly not, because if you said that out loud uh, everyone would say this is never going to happen. Remember, there's a majority of Americans who don't want to pay $24 to fix climate. So obviously they're not willing to pay $11,300 every year. The reality here is going net zero without vast innovation is going to be phenomenally costly. Uh, New Zealand, uh, who is one of the first countries to go net zero, uh, to much to their credit, they actually asked their independent uh, economic institution to evaluate how much would this cost New Zealand. They came out with a study that showed on average it probably cost about 16 percent, of gdp so this this study of of 12% uh, percent is not out of the ordinary it's probably a little bit in the lower end this is going to be very very costly and that's of course why most people are going to say no way before you get to net zero and that's a real problem for the solutions that you know the bidens of the world are proposing they're basically saying Let's just you know, run this through, ram this through, and then see if we can't get people to accept this. But of course, in democracies, you can't actually get people to accept that sort of cost. So India, they're trying to
3: work India to get them to make these uh, substantial commitments to greening their economy. Are they having making progress
8: well, they're certainly making progress in the way that, you know China has now promised to go net zero in 2060, and, and India is possibly promising uh, in 2070. Uh, but of course, the reality is, they know that when most of the rich countries get to 2030, so just nine years from now, and when many of these promises are at least going to be halfway fulfilled. Most countries, electorates are going to have booted out the politicians that have made incredibly expensive promises. So they can also just say, well, in that case, we're not going to do it. At the end of the day, you're not going to fix global warming by asking everyone to be worse off. The only way that we solve problems as humanity is through innovation. If you could innovate the price of green energy down below fossil fuels, everyone would switch, not just rich, well-meaning Americans, but also the Chinese, the Indians, the Africans, and everybody else. That's why, instead of spending lots and lots of money badly on climate policies that basically just look good, we should be spending less money, but much more smartly, on innovation. That's how you solve all of the problems. That's how we're going to solve climate. So what do you believe is happening? And what do you believe
3: is the human, human being's effect on this?
8: Well, so I think global warming is real. That's, I mean, we have lots of scientists who have spent a very large amount of, of, of time and money uh, uh, figuring this out. So uh, emitting CO2 does actually increase the temperature. We're being told that this is the end of the world. And that was the, the clips that you just played at the beginning here. Uh, and that's just that's silly. The UN Climate Panel tells us, the very same UN Climate Panel that they love to refer back to, tells us that if we did nothing about global warming, by the end of the century, the cost would be equivalent to 2.6% of our GDP. So we'd be 2.6% less well off than we otherwise would be. Now, remember, by 2100, the UN estimate each one of us on planet Earth will be about 450% as rich as we are today, so much richer. Because of global warming, it's going to feel like we're only 434% as rich. Yes, that's a problem. No, it's not the end of the world. And that's why we need to recognize this is a problem. This is something we need to do something about but we should be very careful that we don't you know spend 12% of our GDP to avoid a 2.6% problem.
3: You know, and I know you're not a defense expert Bjorn, but it does not do the world any good for America to become weaker in order to change their economy when technology and innovation isn't there to make it Possible, feasible and practical. And the president said as much by saying, hey, we need the OPEC to pump more. Really? We got more oil than OPEC. We have more natural gas than OPEC. We could frack more. We could use pipelines or cleaner. Uh, we could be handling
8: this. But you can't have it both ways. Well, and, and 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 Brian, I think that shows very clearly what the real problem here is. You can make all these grand promises, but as soon as gas prices inch up in the U.S., you actually have to go back and say, look, I'm going to try and get this, those gas prices down. But the logic of climate policy is that you actually want these gas prices and all the other energy prices to go up. That's the only way you're going to get people to stop using as much of it. So the reality is, It is never going to be an election winner to try to fix climate change the way they try in Glasgow. Now, remember, Glasgow is called COP26 for a reason, because there's been 25 other meetings before where we promised the world over and again, but actually delivered very, very little. Uh, The UN did a survey of climate uh, uh, policy in the 2010s, and they actually found Even in that decade where we had the Paris Agreement and everything else, and everybody talked about climate all the time, they say they can't tell the difference between what actually happened in the 2010s and a world where we didn't care about climate (laughs) at all. So we promised and promised, but we haven't actually delivered. It's possibly time to do something smarter.
3: Bjorn Lomborg, uh, he's president of Copenhagen Contensus and visiting fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institute, author of uh, a book that you got to get, and it is called False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. Thanks, Bjorn.
8: Hey, great to talk to you. Right.
7: With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade.
3: All right, everybody, we're going to be joined on FBN, Stuart Varney, the number one show on all of business TV. Uh, He's going to be joining our show. We're going to be joining his show on that network, best-growing network around. And we'll have a chance to talk about vaccine mandates, which is really big for the New York stations, uh, what's happening in New York City with uh, mostly the firefighters, mostly the sanitation workers, mostly the uh, EMTs uh, are vaccinated. So let's listen.
1: 1051 Eastern. That means Kilmeade is with us. All right, Brian, an Illinois judge sided with Chicago's police union granted a temporary restraining order, which extends the vaccine mandate. Are you on board with this? Challenge all mandates everywhere?
3: Absolutely. I'm pro-vaccine, but I'm anti-mandate. I'm not going to tell Stuart Varney we've been over this to go get a vaccination. I would say go to your doctor. I feel good about the research I did. And what they do in Chicago is the ultimate standoff. New York is a total mess because the judges have ruled against all challenges. But in Chicago, the judge ruled it basically stayed the order and said, you can't have this mandate in. But I want you to go talk to each other and don't expect me to give a verdict on whether you got you can mandate city workers in Chicago before the holidays. So it's back to work. What's interesting about Chicago is they told the mayor, we're not even telling you our status. So they said, really? No, we're not even telling you. Now, in New York, I think the cops got 84% vaccination rate, 77% for FDNY. I think it's sanitations in between there somewhere. But these guys want 100% or nothing. So that's why you have ten, twelve thousand 12,000 people staying home, calling in sick, 2,600. That's why you got about 18 firehouses that are under duress. That's why you got detectives work walking the beat. That's why you have civilian, that's why you have a volunteer fire fighters getting invitations from, uh, FDNY to come in and work. Really? Volunteer firefighters are volunteer for a reason. They usually have other jobs and they're not going to cross the line of other the firefighters who are simply saying, do a test. Don't make me get the vaccination. What about an antibody test to see if I got natural immunity?
1: Yeah, come on. Relax. Relax.
3: Come on. Come on.
1: You know, This is no time for man. Why start like a that. fight? Yeah, why start a fight? Exactly right. Uh, let me ask you about the new book. Another book from Kilmeade. THE PRESIDENT AND THE FREEDOM FIGHTER ON YOUR SCREENS RIGHT NOW. OKAY, YOU'VE GOT A MINUTE AT LEAST TO TELL ME ABOUT IT.
3: WHAT ARE WE TALKING ABOUT TODAY, TERRY McAULIFFE? WHAT DID HE BRING UP TODAY? WE HAVE TO HAVE MORE BLACK TEACHERS IN VIRGINIA. WHAT IS Condoleezza RICE FIGHTING IN THE VIEW ABOUT? about race. So I thought, why not go back in time and talk about one of the two of the great success stories in American history, Frederick Douglass, who's got statues all over Europe. By the way, I was getting pictures from Ireland today and from Germany, and he gave it was a very successful lecturer, uh, uh, a lecturer in uh, London. And he talked about the need for race for equality, talked about the need for freedom. He wanted to get rid of slavery and he's willing to fight to do it. And what he went through along with Lincoln, parallel, and then they eventually came together for a brief period of time, our nation benefited enormously. And I thought by looking at their lives, how they worked together at the end, but they criticized during the process, I thought that would be a story that America could embrace to give us some perspective on where we were. There was slavery throughout the world, all seven continents. Not just in America, 350,000 slave owners, 7 million slaves, but we fought a war to rid ourselves of it. We are not a perfect country, and it's time for us to chronicle the success we've had along the way as we get closer and closer. The most successful multicultural society in the history of man, stop tearing each other apart.
1: Yes. Oh, good Brian, exactly right. Stop tearing the country apart. STOP MAKING OUT THAT AMERICA IS A BAD PLACE, A WICKED PLACE. STOP DOING THAT. DON'T PAINT THAT PICTURE. IT'S JUST THE WRONG WAY TO GO. I REJECT IT UTTERLY. IN FACT, I DON'T THINK, I DON'T THINK AMERICAN RACE RELATIONS, IF I CAN SAY THIS, I DON'T THINK THEY'RE BAD. I, I JUST DON'T THINK THAT. It, not FROM MY PERSPECTIVE, THAT'S NOT WHAT I SEE.
3: IT'S NOT HOW I FEEL WHEN YOU TALK TO SHELBY STEELE, A 1960 CIVIL RIGHTS ACTIVIST WHO ENDORSED THIS BOOK. HE SAID, We fixed a lot of our problems, and let's work to fix them all together, not by vilifying people that lived 200 years ago or blaming them for sins in the past. Where, Stuart, you got here recently. My parents came at uh, the—my family on both sides came at the turn of the 20th century, so from other countries. So not only don't I have relatives that were part of this, I wasn't even here as a part of it. I embrace American history. But they can't take credit for Benjamin Franklin or discredit for a a slave owner, as horrible as that is. But America's founding fathers weren't perfect, but they were people of their times. Lincoln said things that would make your skin crawl today, but he came to be the ultimate abolitionist. He ran basically an abolitionist platform where the first time around he was telling the South, just come back in, keep your slaves, we'll work the other stuff out. Well
1: said. Well said.
3: We evolve as a people and a country. Yes, we
1: do. We evolve as a people and a country. Good stuff. I've got your book. I'm going to read it, and I'll see you soon. And I'll Thanks, sign Brian. Kill me. <laughs> yeah, you will. Thanks, man. Still ahead on this.
3: Thanks, Stuart. Um, Eric, listen, on WDBO in, uh, in Orlando. Hey, Eric.
16: Hey, Brian. You've got a great thing going on today, great show. Uh, I just want to salute Joe Manchin. You're my age. I don't You know if you remember uh, Richard Shelby. Sure. But... They pushed him to the point where he switched parties, and they keep pushing this poor guy. I got I to gotta tip my hat to him. He's the first senator I can remember that asked for any, any justification of anything, and now Elon Musk – I don't know if you read the story about him. He told the UN, I want to see where you get these numbers from, and I'll sell all my stock and give you the money, but you need to show me the numbers. And that's all Joe Manchin's doing. He's a true American. He's out for we the people. That's the kind of senator this country needs.
3: yeah, I mean he's solving problems. Look, I know a lot of Republicans say don't believe that he caves, but he's already not caved. I mean, if it wasn't for him, they would have they would have probably voted to get rid of the filibuster, would have voted to stack the court. Uh, they would they're they're trying to revamp the, our country and you know, cinema now lately and Joe Manchin all along. He's taking the slings and arrows for other moderates that know he does a lot of this stuff does not sell in their community. And Henry Cuellar, too. What he's done at the border, would he g he join us on our show? Eric, I hope to you you join me on November twenty first. I'm gonna have the President of Freedom Fighter tour in Orlando on the twenty first. So big theater. I wanna sell it out and I hope to see everybody out there. The WDBO listeners uh, have been as loyal as anybody and I hope to see everyone there in Orlando. Uh listen. Go to BrianKillmead.com. You can order the President of Freedom Fighter, Brian Killmead You can order the podcast. This way you can decide when and how you listen. Don't move.
2: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on FoxnewsPodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being
3: here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Susan Page is standing by. Uh, and also, uh, we'll be taking your calls throughout this hour. Susan Page just wrote a book, uh, not only on the Matriarch, which is a big hit, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Uh, Nancy Pelosi just told somebody, uh, was it off the record, Eric, or was it just uh, Chad is reporting off-camera that she believes there'll be a vote today on this reconciliation package? Really? Stunned by that. After the Joe Manchin press conference yesterday? Also, it's kind of exciting. Uh, today, November 2nd, the President and Freedom Fighter is out. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass and their battle to save America's soul. We'll talk about that throughout the hour, and you could always, uh, you could always order it uh, throughout the show. I'm also going to be on The Five a little bit later talking about it. And... Um, and Gutfelt, which is a mistake. I don't know who keeps booking me on that show. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
4: I have a 20% increase in people that are putting into retire early. That's over 100 people right there. Another 300-plus are filing workers' compensation claims. That's a 22% increase. I have 238 deputies are now applying for out-of-county jobs. That do not have vaccine mandates. Uh, There you go.
3: Uh, That's Alex Villanueva, the sheriff in Los Angeles, uh, talking about the mandate mania. Has cities reeling from Chicago to Seattle to Los Angeles to New York. Has thousands calling sick, turn on their badge or hand hand over their paperwork saying, I want to retire. Why was this standoff necessary?
6: Number two. Holding this bill hostage is not going to work in getting my support for reconciliation bill nor will I support a package that risks hurting American families suffering from historic inflation.
3: Joe Manchin with a stunning press conference yesterday talking about the reconciliation bill. He's saying just past the bipartisan bill that we negotiated, uh, he's showing this country that he cares more about the nation than he does his party. Far too few politicians do.
9: Number one. 50% of the students at Virginia schools, K-12, 50% are students of color, and yet 80% of the teachers are white. We all know what we have to do in a school to make everybody feel comfortable in school. So let's diversify. Uh,
3: (laughs) Interesting way to close out. Virginia Race closes out with McAuliffe running and blaming teachers for being too white. Uh, That is part of a campaign that I just can't figure out and might have him going down in one of the biggest upsets I can remember. Susan Page is in Washington, not far from when this campaign was taking place, uh, a best-selling author in her own right, and Washington Insider. Susan, welcome back.
14: Hey, Brian, it's great to be with you.
3: So, Susan, what about Terry McAuliffe closing out promising to diversify the teachers oh, when the and teachers' union is supporting I, I, why Why is he being critical of them?
14: Well, this is not the message he started with, which was all COVID and the economy, and number one, Donald Trump. But that has not worked for him the way he had hoped. This race that Democrats once thought they would win pretty easily now too close to call. And the great fear among Democrats is that all this energy is behind Glenn Youngkin, who, after all, a neophyte candidate, an equity executive, not exactly the most powerful and the most popular uh, job category in America. Uh, is seems to be on the verge. He certainly challenged Terry McCullough. He may even defeat him tonight in what I agree with you would be a really stunning upset.
3: Why did it happen, in your view?
14: Well, I think that uh, that uh, Youngkin turned out to be a better candidate than we thought. Credit where it's due. Been very sure-footed. Managed to find a way not to insult Donald Trump uh, and, and therefore kept his followers without getting himself tied too closely to Donald Trump. For some of those voters who don't who don't like Trump. The other thing is, I think this national climate has been very difficult for McAuliffe and particularly the declining approval ratings for President Biden. We know that in off year elections and in midterm elections, the president's popularity rating has a lot to do. Their approval rating has a lot to do with how their their party's candidates do across the country.
3: Couple of things. There's, there's great slogans and there's great personalities and faulty personalities. That's one way to get your approval rating to drop. The other thing is things that, that everyone can relate to uh, inflation, uh, shelves that are bare, um, 11 million jobs open, 7 million uh, people without a job. So there's a sense that maybe America is stopped working. And the other thing, fundamentally, that I think the decline started here with Afghanistan. Nobody approves of the way we left Afghanistan. The generals told us it wasn't their plan. And surprisingly, the American people who were tired of this war, reportedly, uh, are really insulted by the way it ended.
14: Now, it's interesting that the withdrawal from Afghanistan has had clearly an effect on Biden's approval rate, even though, as you say, most Americans thought that war should end. They wanted to see U.S. troops pulled out. But the the, the continued chaos that we see there, including some American citizens who are still trapped there, the treatment of women and girls in Afghanistan, that tugs at America's heart. That's been a problem for Biden. But, you know, I think one another problem is Democrats are in charge. They want the House and the Senate and the White House, and yet they are in a state of uh, chaos on Capitol Hill in terms of getting these two big bills through the infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill. Uh, And that has been one of the things that has really caused some problems for Terry McAuliffe in Virginia.
3: So at 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, Susan, I'm in New York. I'm not in Washington like you. So I was surprised to see this press conference called. He didn't take any questions when he usually takes them while he walks Joe Manchin. And he looked a a little ticked off. Here's a little of what he said yesterday, and you tell me how you interpret it.
6: However, as more of the real details outline, the basic framework are released. What I see are shell games, budget gimmicks that make the real cost of the so-called $1.75 trillion bill estimated to be almost twice that amount if the full time is run out. If you extended it permanently, and that we haven't even spoken about. This is a recipe for economic crisis. None of us should ever misrepresent to the American people what the real cost of legislation is. Well, I've worked hard to find a path to compromise, it's obvious. Compromise is not good enough.
3: What brought him to that point? And I think maybe Cory Bush's written statement could tell me uh, a little bit. Senator Manchin's opposition, she writes, to the Build Back Better uh, Act is the anti-black, anti-child, anti-woman, and anti-immigrant. Oh, OK. This is the same party. What brought Joe Manchin to that point?
14: You know, it's uh, you weren't the only one surprised by Manchin's. News conference. You know, there was some speculation here in D.C. that he was calling this news conference to enthusiastically embrace the bill. That turned out not to be true. There was some theory he would just declare victory. I mean, he's gotten the the price tag for this bill dropped from from 3.5 trillion to 1.75 trillion, and the contents of the bill changed on climate change programs and other things. He's gotten uh, he has gotten a lot of what he wanted in this bill, and for him to come out and use such Harsh language like shell game, I think, really sent shockwaves through Washington. Now, the progressives obviously made a decision not to get rattled by this because they say they're still for the bill. They say they trust that Joe Biden will deliver the 50-50 Senate to support it. But this was definitely one of those kind of shocking events at D.C. that we see once in a while.
3: It is. So why is it that we're getting reports from Chad Pergram and others that there could be a vote today? Are you hearing well, that?
14: Well, yes. Well, po- Speaker Pelosi continues to say that there could be a vote today. Um, of course, she has set a couple of deadlines before that have not that have passed without anything happening. Obviously, they want this done as quickly as possible. And there's there are two good reasons to try to pass it today and not wait another 12 hours. One is if the Virginia race goes badly, there could be some blowback there, making it harder to pass. The other thing is if they could pass these bills today, It gives a competing headline to whatever happens in Virginia. But the problem is they do not seem to have a deal. They don't have – the Rules Committee has not ruled this. The CBO hasn't given its – It's a calculation on what it would cost. Uh, So there are some reasons to think that is a really optimistic statement by Speaker Pelosi. Why
3: would she do it again? I mean, she obviously had a reputation suffer in September when she twice called for a vote and didn't get it. Then she says October 31st. I don't need to tell you she didn't get it. And now we have again. We could have a vote today. Why would she put that out there at the risk of looking bad?
14: Well, I think I think they really want these bills to be passed in as soon as possible. And one of the arguments they're making is, look what's happening in Virginia, where Democratic enthusiasm has really ebbed. One reason, not the only reason, one of the reasons is they haven't delivered on what they promised voters they would do if they won the election. Pelosi is aware of that. And maybe she thinks tomorrow will be harder than today to get it through.
3: I guess so. Uh, If I was to pick out an issue that would emerge from a local campaign, uh, and it would be education, and the fact that Republicans rank higher in terms of trustworthiness, according to the last couple of polls, uh, on Democrats in that area is a real role reversal. Do you think this becomes a major issue after what gradually became the number one issue in Virginia?
14: You know, I, Brian, I think candidates everywhere are going to be looking at that Virginia race and seeing what happened. And, yes, education became the hot-button issue in the Virginia race. And it's a whole collection of things. It's teaching of uh, of the history of racism in America. It's about the treatment of transgender children. It's about mask mandates for kids. It's about uh, vaccine mandates for teachers and other school staffers. There's a whole mix of things in there. But the combination really turned out to help not Terry McAuliffe, but Glenn Youngkin. And, you know, it is true that education traditionally has been one of those issues that Democrats have relied on for voters to trust them more than Republicans. That's not what's happened at this moment in Virginia. So
3: I want you to hear what Henry Cuellar told us, a Democrat from Texas, on what is going on at the border. And I just think that when the president got 23 percent approval rating about how he's handled the border, I don't think they're even looking to correct it. Here's with Congressman Cuellar, who will provide answers, and he has street credit in this area. He could actually help solve the problem, as you know. Cut 27.
16: But the problem is, in my opinion, is that he has surrounded himself, at least uh, on the immigration issue, with people that have backgrounds in, I'll call them, immigration activists. And they're giving their perspective. And the problem is— that's only one perspective. What about the perspective of the border communities, the borders that I represent? What about I, I, you know, what about the landowners? Most importantly also they're not listening to the men and women in green and blue. Somebody has to have their back and, and, and when you have the political people that are giving advice to the administration that is only one sided. That's not fair.
3: So he's not getting the moderate point of view. And I could pull up clips of Harry Reid saying, We got to build a wall. We can't let people in. This lottery system is bad. And Chuck Schumer, we got to build a wall. And Dick Durbin, we got to get a barrier, but it's got to be bigger back in 2006. What has happened to the so called moderate president that he's choosing to be to the left of Barack Obama when it comes to the border?
14: Yeah, I think immigration has been a really problematic issue for. President Biden, it's an issue in which he's gotten some of its lowest approval ratings from the start. It's been one of Donald Trump's strongest issues from the day he got into the presidential race, uh, what, five or six years ago. Um, so this is a continuing issue. And, you know, there's something else percolating uh, that has the potential to be uh, very controversial. And these negotiations that are going on between the Justice Department and uh, lawyers representing migrant families who were separated – at the border, under the Trump policy, uh, talking about uh, cash payouts to these families for pain and suffering and for the trauma that they and their families may have suffered—that's that's another issue on the horizon that could be very difficult, I think, for this White House.
3: Four hundred fifty thousand dollars per family—that's more than nine eleven families. It's already getting a pretty massive pushback. I don't know if they're listening, but they have the wall. They're not Trump pushing to walk back the Wall Street Journal story, so I assume it's all Trump.
14: Well, I think no one has denied the Wall Street Journal story. Uh, On the other hand, this hasn't happened yet. These are negotiations. It is possible that the uh, Justice Department will decide to go ahead and go through the court process, have a trial, let a jury decide what the uh, award should be. Uh, There are risks with that approach as well, uh, but I do think that there has been a lot of blowback to the idea of paths of that size to these families.
3: Uh, last thing, there's, there's a poll out, and I just wonder with the people you talk to, you don't need polls, you have insight and people that you actually talk to, uh, that shows the majority of the Democratic Party at the vote was today wants another candidate for president other than Joe Biden. Joe Biden, 36% support, 44% among Democrats want somebody else to run in 2024. I know that's a while away, but do you think this matters? Do you think that's what the perception is that you're hearing when you walk the halls of Congress, when you go to a restaurant and talk to your friends?
14: This is a moment where for Democrats there are lots of concerns, that nothing seems to be going right, that they're still um, uh, in a mess in terms of passing these bills. On the Hill, they're looking with some concern at what may happen in Virginia today. So it's it's possible that this is. One of those low moments, you know, presidencies have ups and downs. There are times when nobody's with you and then you can come back in a big way. That may happen. But this the the perception of weakness with the White House is of concern to Democrats. Generally, it doesn't help President Biden when he's trying to make his case, for instance, to get the reconciliation bill through.
3: Who's the power? Is it Ron Klain, Susan Rice? Who's the one he's leaning on the most? Who's who's the one whose policies we we feel we're getting? Youthful.
14: You know, I th- I think you're getting Joe Biden's policies. Joe Biden's been in office for a very long time. He has his own views on things. I don't think there is another person on that whose whose views he is uh, parroting. I think this is what Joe Biden thinks. You know, at the news conference yesterday uh, in Rome, uh, he was asked about his bad poll ratings. And he said basically he brushed them off that so they'll go up and down. That wasn't why he got elected. Um, on the other hand, presidents do need to show that they have the backing of the electorate if they want to get things done.
3: Susan, it's always great talking to you. Always learn something. Uh, I know it's gonna. We'll find out if there's a vote today, but the winner here, there's gonna be big news coming out of Washington and Virginia. Thanks so much, Susan.
14: Hey, thank you, Brian.
3: All right, and uh, pick up a book, Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and the lessons of power. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade, Joe.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers, here it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News
7: Podcasts Network.
4: My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world.
7: You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If
2: you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with
7: Brian Kilmeade. The whole story is that progress takes patience. I love the tension between Frederick Douglass and President Lincoln. and how Douglass should have been, rightfully so, angry at the lack of progress, pushing Lincoln to move as quickly as possible. And at the same time, you have to admire and respect Lincoln's patience. His primary objective was to keep the nation together and for a long time, he thought that's the way you averted a war. And frankly, it took the Civil War in order for us to unite the nation.
3: And that is Senator Tim Scott. Hello, Lindsey Graham will help me out in South Carolina overlooking Fort Sumter. Uh, and uh, we had a chance to talk about Frederick Douglass and do a special that's going to air November 7th as well as Abraham Lincoln, how they came together to make America a more perfect unit at our most critical time. Yes, much more critical than today. I try to chronicle both lives, how they came together, intersected, and what our country was going through. And I think now that we talk about race in some way almost every day on this show, I think if you can get a perspective on where we were, you'll really appreciate where we are, and compare it to the rest of the world, uh, we're doing fine. And plus, it's great to know two self-made uh, role models uh, for the rest of the world. Let's go out to Jerry, Listen to WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Jerry.
16: Yes, Brian, thank you. I, I just wanted to say I don't know why we give any credibility to this so-called climate science. This is not science. There's not one piece of empirical information. That would make you think there's a climate crisis, that CO2 is out of control, or that global warming is out of control. These are climate computer models. They're not science. And we we don't – I don't understand. I never see people like Will Happer, Roy Spencer, John Christie, all these great scientists who actually – are scientists they're not advocates i never see them on these shows
3: uh yeah i mean what they're doing now is an embarrassment in glasgow it's a joke but i do i'm not a climatologist i thought bjorn lomberg had it perfect uh there's stuff going on he's not sure what we have a control over but every time there's a storm people say well that that's climate change no it's not
7: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
13: Children going to school today in England are far less likely to end up in the hospital with COVID than American kids. In fact, the risk in the U.S. is several times higher. And it's got the medical community on both sides of the pond puzzled. That's really CBS News medical We're contributor, asking Dr. Asking Dr. David area. Agus.
0: We're afraid. I mean, when kids are hospitalized, they're pretty significant numbers. About 10% of the cases in the last few months are kids aged 5 through 11.
13: And here are the numbers. In the most recent week of statistics, comparing both countries in October, per 100,000 people, the United States had more than 10 times more hospital admissions for those under 18 than England. And we want to know why. It's not masks. It may be a hot button issue in the United States, but they are not mandatory here. In fact, none of these school children are wearing masks.
3: So none of the kids are wearing masks and the numbers are higher here. They evidently are the first. Uh, They they seem to get things first, and we get it second. So the Delta variant hit them first, obviously destroyed India, and then comes here, and then we get slammed by it through the summer. Then we have turned around. No one talks about this, but uh, deaths are down 20%, hospitalizations down the same way, same as cases. But when it comes to kids, they are getting it more, but they're beating it. And the numbers are more severe here than there. So this is an interesting study. Wouldn't you like to know more? How come we don't hear about that? Because... To Anthony Fauci, you talk about stubborn. This guy never backs off anything he says unless he's caught, or it means more crackdowns, clampdowns, and more limitations. And uh, thank goodness we haven't seen much of him lately. That's interesting. Uh, I did not know uh, about that study. Do you want to hear more from the CBS? Let's listen.
13: It's not that infection rates are any higher in the United States. In fact, it's much worse here. Across the U.K., they've got one of the highest infection rates in the world. Britain is once again at the peak of another surge, fueled by elementary school children with those under 15 reportedly accounting for more than a third of all recent cases. It's not the uptake of vaccines either. In the under 18s, the percentage of total population fully vaccinated is lower here than in the U.S. Which leaves medical experts to consider other influences, like whether diet or childhood diabetes are driving up hospitalizations among kids in the states.
0: We're seeing those biologic differences country to country. There are certain behavior differences because we're all different. Our genetics are different. uh, 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 Our lifestyle is different. What we're exposed to is different. Our prior viruses are
13: different. And they all go into the formula. There is one major difference, and that is mass testing. School kids here test at home every week, in some cases twice a week.
0: And when you do at-home testing, you test people and find them with high viral loads and they don't go to school, whereas in the United States, they may. And when you present and spread with high viral loads, sometimes those people can be hospitalized earlier.
13: In the end, it may be a combination of all those factors. So
0: all those together probably are equaling why we're having a difference in numbers, although it would be great to really understand the biology here, and we just don't.
3: Right. Uh, we don't have really home testing that's a, that I know of that's masking. I, You can't walk into a store and get a test, can you? I don't think so. one uh, 866 One thing I think everyone should be saying, let's give let's get people a hand to start eating better eating the things that are going to make it harder to get sick, period, let alone COVID-19, and use this as an opportunity to do that, not condemning people that might be a little bit overweight. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying get healthier. That's one of your best shields to, if you do get sick, actually suffering and being hospitalized. Karen listening in Florida. Hey, Karen.
12: Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call.
3: No problem. Where in Florida are you?
12: Um, In Wikiwachi Springs.
3: Okay. What's on your mind?
12: I just have a question. First, I'll tell you, I'm a a 54-year-old woman that has five kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Three of them are adopted, and I've had over 30 kids through the foster care system that I've taken care of over the years. The reason that I say that is because I'm really concerned at this point. I mean, a year ago, nobody would have believed that mandate um, mass to the point of taking away somebody's uh, livelihood. Now I'm concerned, because I have a seven-year-old at home, and if they are now approving the vaccine for that age, and you don't give it, are they going to mandate that you give it? And if not in your does, state,
3: it... not in your state. But I, I know. You know I predicted Karen that they're going to. I, I did not think we we're going to get to this point where people over eighteen will be mandated. But now we have numbers, eighty-four percent of cops, seventy seven percent of firefighters, eighty-six percent of EMS workers, are and sanitation is a little bit higher, eighty-eight, and they're going for a hundred, and they're firing right. everybody for not. And the same thing in Chicago. Right. So I, I'm not I don't think you can rule it out, but your governor is not gonna let that happen. But maybe
12: your I city might governor. give him a problem. But the question is, is are they gonna call it medical neglect and start taking the children? I mean, I've with DCS, I've worked with them and it's been I mean, they've taken kids for less.
3: Did not know that. I don't know the intricacies of adopting and foster care, but I would hope not. Again, you're in the right state. You're in a governor that would would reach out to you that you could reach out to. But I would do some preemptive work before they mandate it. Why don't you just go ahead, make some inquiries and say, listen, if you start if the federal government starts mandating these shots, is it going to be affected in my county? Is there a chance this is going to affect my foster care outreach? Uh, that's a great question, and I'll be—I'll definitely be open to asking it when I get these doctors on, which I'm probably going to do as soon as we're through this election cycle. Uh, let's go out to Rob. Listen on WOKV. Hey, Rob.
17: Hey, Brian. Thank you for taking my call.
3: No problem. What's on your mind?
17: Get you off speaker. Um, I want to talk a little bit about. Um, ivermectin and dr Clark, but i one of the problems i have with this entire pandemic is doctors were using these therapeutics early in the pandemic as early as april 2020 and they were having success with these things in treating patients they wrote letters to the ih they wrote letters to the fda they were ignored and had we used these things early i think this pandemic would be over i'm not sure if you're aware of what happened in india uh, particularly Uttar Pradesh, uh, which is the largest state in India. They have over 200 million people, roughly two-thirds the size of the U.S. And in April 26 uh, this year, they had over 35,000 cases per day. And in April, they started launching an aggressive campaign to distribute COVID kits to families throughout the uh, right. state. By the end of June, their total case counts per day were, do- were down to 172. If you look at uh, October, as of October 22nd, the total number of active cases stands at 112, with 10 new cases out of 200 million people. Their vaccination rate, when they started this, was 5%. Their vaccination rate right now is 13%. So, and this this is all due to ivermectin, because this stuff it it works as a preventative and as a treatment, yet it is smeared. You know, the,
3: you know, the, I know. The, yeah. Rob, I hear you. And I'll keep my eye out for it, but I know a lot of people are using it. We had Ben Carson on last week, and I said, what did you use when you got it? He said, Ivermectin. I go, did it help? He goes, absolutely. And there's a guy, that one of the best five brain surgeons in the world. So his resources in the medical community are the elite of the elite. So he's not there being uh, falling prey to a Facebook ad. So you have, a, you have some company, and good company. Ryan listen, on WABC in Pearl River, New York. Hey, Ryan
16: all right brian In this this mayor's election in new york city it only comes down to one man curtis lee was got to win this thing he's the only one in this race who's going to do something about crime uh if anyone votes for anybody else you're just throwing their votes away because new york city is like the heart pump of the northeast people come here for entertainment they come here on vacation they work they come into work they live here nobody's going to come here no one's going to want to live here unless curtis wins this election and if people who are voting for Curtis, in my opinion, they should bring 10 people with them out to the polls to vote for this guy because the election, what I'm t- being told right now, is very light turnout right now. So Curtis could easily win this thing, and he's going to bring back all the city workers that were fired. It was a disgrace. One year, you're a hero. The next year, there's no room for you in the, in, in the end. People are worried about paying their rent and everything. And this thing about giving 400000 to the illegals and, and a slap in the face to firing American workers, that, that $400,000, is like an advertisement. Hey, come here, and we're going to give you 400000 It's also an advertisement to drive patriotic Americans Ryan, crazy. Brian, I hear so- you.
3: I, I just don't know if Curtis ran the campaign, a winning campaign. He had the law enforcement. He's got credibility. I think you do a good job. I just didn't see enough of him. And I think the first ads I saw uh, were over the last two or three weeks. But uh, wish, I wish you the best of luck. Doug in New Jersey. Hey, Doug.
16: Hey, they had a commentary on that, Daniel Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L.
3: Hmm. I don't know if that worked. Anne is in New Jersey. Hey, Anne.
5: Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just want to um, preface by saying I'm an avid Fox listener. Um, I thank love you. your show. Thank I you. love your books. I'm a history teacher. I use them. Um, but I, I need to represent teachers in a much better light. I watch Fox and Friends, you know, every weekend, and teachers are so demonized. And we are on the front line helping these kids. We're not all teaching the things that, you know, the news says that we're teaching. Um, my, You know, I help my students make their own decisions. They don't know politically who I'm for, who I'm not for. We talk facts. And I just want the public to know that not all teachers are out there, you know, teaching things that parents are not approving of. I'm a parent, and I love parental, um, you know, participation. You know, last year we went back to school in person, and students opted not to come back. We stood there every day in the classroom waiting and hoping our students would come in some of the responsibility is on the students and on the parents not just you know not just the, the teachers so mm-hmm. i just want to put that out there that yeah i think we should clarify Anne, you're really right. really hard right
3: i think and we should clarify too a lot of these teachers union representatives don't speak for all teachers but when we see them go out and go along with certain political causes And then try to put their hands on the scale when it comes to the CDC. And then they try to push back when you say it needs to be three feet apart. We can get these kids back in the classroom. No, I want six feet apart. Well, the science says this. And then they act collectively to use their political might in order to keep kids out of school. That should not reflect on Ann in New Jersey. So I get it. So we should make a dissemination. We should do a better job at that. Uh, Cliff listening online in Waterbury, Connecticut. Hey, Cliff.
16: Hey, thanks, Brian. Brian, what's the problem with a black teacher that's in the school teaching black kids about black history? Critical race theory, the whole nine yards in terms of even these two governors down in Virginia, one says that there should be more diverse teachers. What's wrong with that with a school that has majority of minorities? So are they
3: being kept out? Are they being kept out?
16: Right. If you were a teacher, how, why and why not would you tell black students, if you're white now, about Tulsa, Oklahoma? You didn't know about that. So how can you tell black students about American history
3: in addition to black history? Cliff, um, Cliff, I, I think you're all over the place. When you have Terry McAuliffe says, my goal is to diversify the teachers. If your goal is to diversify the teachers, were you keeping them out? Were you only hiring white teachers? Are there black teachers that can't get a job? Then you just, I'd love to meet them. Then you tell me, well, there's black teachers and Hispanic teachers and female, te- I don't know, female teachers, whatever you what minority you want to look at that are being kept from jobs. But instead they say, I looked at all my teachers and they're too white. Well, maybe those teachers are great teachers and maybe they're the best teachers, and maybe they're the only ones applied. I mean, in Virginia especially, their pay isn't through the roof. And if your answer is there are black teachers that I've met with, they can't get hired because they're black, you got an issue. If you're looking at teachers and saying there's too many white people in my school, I think that's an issue. The other thing, Cliff, is there's people that teach world history, ancient history. They didn't live back in those times. You, if you're a teacher in history and your curriculum says teach this era and you don't go over what happened in Oklahoma, that's not a black-white thing. That's a mistake by that teacher. Uh, Thanks, Cliff. I don't think there's any racism. I can't believe he decided to go after teachers' unions on his last day and say, you got to diversify him. In fact, real quick, here's what Newt Gingrich said about that. Cut three.
11: The most racist single comment in this entire campaign was McAuliffe saying there are too many white teachers. I mean, you talk about breaking down, forgetting the, the, the content of your character. Let's go straight for the color of your skin. How can somebody run for governor BASICALLY COMPLAINING ON A RACIAL BASIS. NOT THAT THEY'RE COMPETENT OR INCOMPETENT, NOT THAT THEY WORK HARD OR THEY'RE LAZY, BUT THEY HAPPEN TO BE WHITE. Uh, AND I THINK IT JUST TELLS YOU THE DEPTH OF FEAR THAT IN ORDER TO PANDER TO THE AFRICAN-AMERICAN VOTE, HE MADE THAT STATEMENT, WHICH I THINK IS AN INCREDIBLY RACIST COMMENT.
3: I DO, TOO. When we come back, we'll finish up with some final thoughts and finish up this hour and take some more of your calls. 1-866-408-7669. It's going to be a big day. The Virginia race has huge implications. Also in New Jersey, this governor's race, uh, it turns out Jack Cittarelli has really closed the gap. The question is, is Murphy going to win by enough to really launch a shot at the presidency in two more years? That's what Chris Christie said. What do you think about that? Uh, if Cittarelli gets close, I don't see that happening. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Can't you guys make another Manning? How hard is it to make another Manning? You've got this Bayou quarterback breeding program down there. You just keep making more Mannings. Make a couple for us. My dad's stud fee has really gone
3: up
17: uh, in the past 20 years. (laughs)
3: And now was Peyton Manning and Eli Manning having a good time on Monday Night Football with John Stewart as they talked about the Giants, who lost a heartbreaker to the Kansas City Chiefs, who clearly have a, a, some big-time defensive problems in their offense, not hitting on all gears. wasn't enough for the Giants to pull off a second straight uh, upset victory. Uh, but that is one of the most innovative things. Even though they talk over each other and at times it's awkward, I think the most interesting thing about Monday Night Football is what happens on on ESPN two as opposed to ESPN one.
0: It's almost like in a weird way, like it like a Mystery Science Theater three thousand vibe to it, because sometimes announcers can get a little too dronish and they just make the ridiculous points of, oh, they got the team's gotta score more points. It's like, all right, thanks Einstein. That's basically the, the same uh point that everybody else uh, makes. At least with these guys you can laugh and still follow the game along.
3: Absolutely. Let's find out if there's more to know.
2: More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD.
3: Here we go. The Broncos have traded Von Miller, a future broadcaster, to Rams on an NFL trading deadline. That's pretty big because the Broncos, I didn't think, were giving up on their season, but it looks like they are. So uh, they'll be able to clear up some cap space. Former Super Bowl MVP, really bright guy. Uh, he joins Jalen Ramsey, another guy acquired from the Jaguars. Aaron Donald. I mean, this is going to be a Hall of Fame defense, but they're looking to
0: win everything now. Yeah, they're in a very fi- tough NFC. They're firing on all cylinders, and he's having another great year. He's already got four and a half uh, sacks, and it's more than ten. you got ten games left.
3: Ending daylight savings time may actually be bad for your breath. That, according to some woman with a very long name at the University of Savelle, she finds canceling daylight savings time would lead to more human activity in the early morning hours before sun rises. From a health standpoint, the study author knows that this can be harmful. From a physiological point of view, one of the issues is having to rely more on artificial light when waking up. No idea if this is going to link together. Just, Please keep me up to date. Just
0: to be clear, it's not for your—it's not bad breath. It's bad for your health. Daylight savings time.
3: Oh, okay. Next, <laughs> but I didn't know what that meant. Barry Bonds' 500th home run uh, ball sells for three hundred thousand dollars. The guy cheated. He basically admitted it. Uh, Hank Aaron should be the home run champ. You have a bad ball. Throw it away. Throw it back. Pretend it's Wrigley Field, and he hit it there. Thanks so much for listening. Pick up for the President and Freedom Fighter. It's out today. It is uh, seven in the country. Pick up the pace. Thank you.
7: Listen to the all new Brett Bear podcast, featuring Common Ground, in depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites, like his All Star panel, and much more. Available now at FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.